Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Shade Oshoto Mehin. She is an advanced practice pharmacist at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Shade, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Dr. Nick. I appreciate the opportunity. So if you would, for the benefit of our listeners, I think it's always important to get a little bit of historical context. How did you arrive at this point? What was your journey to this place in your career? And, you know, include some of the highlights, if you would. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So I think to start at the very beginning of my journey and how I got here, um, my favorite subject in high school was chemistry. And so uh, just trying to figure out what am I going to do with chemistry? Um, And so two thoughts came to mind. One was pharmacy and the other was industrial chemistry, very divergent fields. But I knew that I I wanted to be in the healthcare field. I wanted to help people. Matter of fact, my father wanted me to be a medical doctor, but I wasn't having any of those. You know, I couldn't stand the sight of cutting people up. And so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, dad, to break your heart, but it's not going to happen. So I think going from wanting to be in the healthcare field and really uh, enjoying chemistry, I figured I would go into the field of pharmacy and still be able to help people with my knowledge and my skill set. So as far as my undergrad, uh, pretty much my life has been about pharmacy right from out of high school. I did get my Bachelor of Pharmacy from University of Ibadan in Nigeria. Uh, It was a five-year program with a lot of tears, very rigorous pharmacy background, uh, very intense, uh, certainly under the, the British curriculum. Uh, but it did serve me with a really great foundation in in pharmacy. Um, Fast forward after that, I relocated to the United States and pursued my doctor of pharmacy degree in Albany College of Pharmacy. And that sort of like layered um, more of the patient care clinical pharmacy built on the pharmacology from from Nigeria um, and, and really went into pharmacotherapy um, favorite aspect was definitely cardiology. That was my favorite aspect. Uh, I thought that I was going to do a residency and really go into clinical pharmacy, but sometimes life throws your curveball. So um, I ended up in retail pharmacy with Walgreens, where I spent the first 15 years of my career. First half was really just working as a retail pharmacist, helping patients with their medications. And the second half, I wanted to do something a little different. And so I started taking classes in a uh, school of nursing certificate programs uh, in disease state management. And from that point, um, I was sort of put in charge of um, all the retail clinical services. So medication therapy management, immunizations, point of care health testing, all of that fell on my lap, go figure it out, make it work. And, um, you know, I, I that was really, really successful, um, not only on the district level, but even on the um, 
regional level. So I was working with other uh, pharmacists in the same position. Um, subsequent to that, I got a text that said, hey, you know, I have an interesting position and wondering where you're sort of at right now. And it the text, text came from my current boss. Um, and she said, you know, I have a really great position for you. I've heard about some of the things you've done at Walgreens, uh, all this implementation that you've done. Um, and I'm looking to open up a telehealth center um, that's going to be led by pharmacists. And I need someone to take it from scratch. And so that was, for me, it was the next level. And uh, that's currently where I am. This is now at the Center for Innovative Pharmacy Solutions at the University of Maryland. And what we really do is we work with different organizations. Some are contract-based, some are grants. Um, we really want to test innovative healthcare models that involve a pharmacist to try to understand what are some of the problems, why is the healthcare system not functioning the way it's supposed to? The infrastructure is there, the knowledge is there, the expertise is there. But when you compare the, the outcomes, patient outcomes to other developed countries, the United States healthcare system is sort of behind. Sort um, of? So <laughs> Just, you know, being I'm nice about it. <laughs> being nice about it, you know. You are. Very nice. <laughs> being nice about it. And then when we talk about healthcare cost, you know, it's like astronomically like a lot more. So why are we spending more, but the results are not as great? I think that has been a really huge learning curve for me. Um, and I continue to learn about it um, and trying to figure out, you know, what is it? What? Is, where did we get it wrong? And really, I have learned that, you know, it's really the simple things that we're probably overlooking. I mean, we do really great work with acute care. A patient has an MI, you know, the number of deaths from a heart attack has really dropped. We do a fantastic job with that. But in terms of chronic care and making sure, you know, chronic diseases are not things that are being managed in the emergency room, not so much. Um, so just taking time to understand that, and this has really given me, this position has given me the opportunity to really uh, learn, uh, work with innovative grants. Um, currently we have um, uh, under our belt, uh, pharmacist led remote patient monitoring that we're doing. Uh, just a lot of just, you know, and we're really working with with patients who are, quote unquote, have been left behind. Uh, lots of health disparities, lots of social determinants of health barriers. Um, and it's it's been a very humbling and eye opening um, experience thus far. Great intro. Um, you know, love love the sort of history and the background. I, I'm going to go back to something at the beginning and, you know, we'll come back to some of the where you are currently. But I just want to go back to the chemistry for a second, because I got to say, you know, in most instances, people don't go, I love chemistry. At least that wasn't my experience. I mean, I did. And the fact that you did is kind of interesting to me. Right. because it's, it's not it's not that sort of love field but you clearly did and that was I did. part of your passion i did um, i it was like my favorite subject um like the textbook from front to it was one of those like 
when I say that I read the textbook, every single page, every equation in there, I could rewrite. I don't know where it came from, but I just found it or maybe it found me. I don't know. But yeah, it is odd. I agree. But... All right. I didn't use that word and I would not because okay. I, I, I think what's really interesting about it and, you know, it's it's always why I like to ask the, the question at the beginning is it's what drives people. And, you know, one of the things that you know, our minds are just, you know, where we, we have different approaches, we have different lenses. That's what I've realized. And, you know, I realized that, you know, my lens is is based on all of the things that I personally love. And that love or, you know, passion element really sort of helps drive, I think, sort of innovation and expression in sort of opportunities. It's one of the reasons that, you know, they, they, they have a tendency to say it seems a little bit flippant, but, you know, find something that you love and do it for the rest of your life and you'll never work a day in your life. And, you know, it sounds like you've got that in in some form, at least with pharmacy, because it is it's about all of these molecules, essentially. And, you know, we've got lots of variations on those molecules from even, you know, a few years back, we're sort of learning more and more. So fascinating sort of experience that drives you. But now fast forward, you've sort of gone through this, you've gone through a retail experience, you've gone through a different country. So I imagine all sorts of experiences and exposures to uh, different health systems, you're incredibly generous in your uh, reverence to how poorly we're doing in the United States. I'm just going to call it as it is. It's 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 a disgrace, quite frankly, um, given the outrageous amount of money that we spend, and we're not getting value for money. And here you are in a program, and I'm I'm going to challenge you a little bit because I don't think most people think of it in this term. But you know, a pharmacist in um, a, a telehealth sort of circumstance as a, a clinician. Is that really, you know, how does that come about? You know, you, you, you just deal with molecules. Absolutely. And I think that that's a fantastic uh, challenge and challenge accepted. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and I think that you certainly have uh, sort of opened a door that I I definitely want to dive down that rabbit hole and um, explain that, you know, <laughs> a lot of times when you say pharmacist, the um, idea that comes in people's minds, and I'm happy that it has changed from the druggist or the chemist <laughs> with the, you know, that's right. It, with it used the, to be. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, I'm happy that it's, it's moved away from there where it's, you know, these bottles that are um, amber colored glass bottles, like mixing things together. And now it's more that person behind the counter counting pills by five. Um, certainly pharmacy has really, really evolved from there. And, and I think as at the time that I went to pharmacy school for, for my doctor pharmacy degree, um, it was a lot of information, the level of training was impeccable. It was really intense. Um, and and the, the value that pharmacists can really bring to the table, it's astronomical. Uh, and to think about the fact that majority of chronic disease states are being managed with some type of medication, and we spend at least six years of our lives 
thinking and breathing nothing but medications, I feel like there's certainly like a lot of um, uh, value that a pharmacist can bring to medication therapy management of chronic disease states. So definitely we're no longer the pharmacist that's counting by five. We are um, definitely the professional that's working with collaborating with other healthcare professionals, whether it's a medical doctor, an NP, uh, a social worker, a community health worker, and just bringing our, our um, like you said, our lens and our piece of, of the puzzle to complete that holistic um, whole person healthcare that's been delivered to the to the patients. So yes, we're no longer the no. We we have a lot more. We've definitely advanced, and there's a lot more to that we we are contributing and would still love to contribute to improving uh, healthcare in the United States. Absolutely. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today I'm talking to Shade. Oshoto Mayhin. She is a uh, advanced practice pharmacist at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. I was just challenging her and saying, well, you know, pharmacist, uh, as, as you rightly pointed out, I'd truly forgotten him. I think it may actually be a, a Britishism. Uh, they were the chemist. I don't know if that was true in the United States, but, you know, in fact, I think people still talk and, you know, generationally they'll talk about, oh, I'm going to the chemist. And, you know, I think Americans would go, what, what, what? That's the pharmacist, to be clear. But the other thing that's, you know, I, I think you, you didn't highlight, but is abundantly clear to anybody that sort of interacts with the system is you, you have this relatively short interaction with some clinician and then you'll go to the pharmacy experience, and it can be an extended experience. And in fact, I had this with my own mother-in-law and we were having all sorts of challenges with medications as she was being discharged. And I was in the pharmacy four times in one day, um, interacting, got to know the pharmacist, a whole experience. And this was me as a, I, I was a, um, a seagull in this particular instance. I flew in, did my little thing and then flew back out again. Um, so I, I wasn't continuously involved yet. I got to know that of all the people I got to know, it was the pharmacist. And I think that's one of the areas that gets lost in some of these discussions is that they're, you know, not only do they have that extensive clinical skill set and, as you point out, you know, big component of the um, treatments that we deliver to patients, especially in chronic disease, we're managing with medications in, in many instances. In fact, those are the preferred terms um, for, for many, not all. Um, but they have this much closer relationship and I think potentially understand the patient a little bit better. Absolutely. And, and I think that um, what you're getting at is that the pharmacist is possibly the most accessible healthcare professional. Again, you're um, being generous. It's not possibly. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are. Okay. Be generous. Okay. Um, because, if, and you're right. If you think about it, you know, a patient would have appointments with their provider uh, once in three months, four months, sometimes once a year, 
while, like you mentioned, in the span of a month, you were there four times. No, one day. One day. Okay. <laughs> in one day, you were there four one times. One day, four exactly. times. Exactly. And I think that the healthcare system really needs to start to think about the pharmacist as a point of access into the healthcare system. Let's not wait until the patient is so broken and the cost of, of management is further down. Let's use the pharmacy, especially in the ambulatory care setting, as a point of contact with pharmacists are in the community. It's easier to identify patients who are not doing very well, connecting those patients to care, um, as opposed to patients showing up when they're symptomatic, things are broken, complications are in place, sometimes irreversible, and the cost is astronomical. Right. I, and, you know, I think it's important here because one of the pushbacks that, you know, uh, frequently get is, well, show us, as I would say, the proof is in the pudding, and in this case, in the data. And I think in this particular instance, you can actually demonstrate the value proposition, not just from, you know, anecdotal stories that I can relate and you can obviously tell, but you actually have data that demonstrates this, right? Absolutely. We have a lot of data. Um, we're still gathering data as we speak. Um, we're still publishing data as we speak. And we certainly, um, even recently, put out uh, a manuscript of some of the work that we did in collaboration with um, paramedics uh, in, this, in, in Baltimore City, the fire department. Um, really innovative um, uh, healthcare model, uh, really just trying to work with a population that's just really dis high levels of disparity, such a, a lot of healthcare burden. And it's a it's a population that because uh, if you go to Baltimore City, there's just a lot of um, lots of hospitals, uh, lots of schools. Johns Hopkins is there. University of Maryland is there. University of Maryland Medical Center is there. Johns Hopkins Hospital is there. But these patients are right smack in the in the middle of all that knowledge. And they're doing so poorly. And there's been over decades attempts at how do we help the patients in this particular zip code in Baltimore City. And so this particular innovative healthcare model came about between the um, doctors at University of Maryland Medical Center, specifically Dr. Mercosi, and uh, the Baltimore County Fire Department. And the thought was for the patients who are high utilizers of the ER or frequently calling 911, for chronic disease states, how do we deploy the paramedic team to the home to figure out, first off, is this care that we could give to you right in your home? And if you even made it into the ER, got admitted, how do we come to your home and figure out what was broken in terms of your chronic healthcare management? And how can we fix that so that you start to seek care from the primary care practices as opposed to coming to, as opposed to coming to the hospital, which is more expensive. So um, the 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 team involved the paramedic uh, community health workers, definitely our team pharmacists, and um, 
either a nurse practitioner or a medical doctor. So in this space, what we really did and what we really focused on since our area is really medication management was, you know, when patients are going from the hospital to the home, we know there's a lot of changes in the hospital. One, do the patients even understand what those changes are? And two, when they do go, go home, I mean, so your furosemide was changed to torsemide. These are patients with, again, low health literacy levels. Mm. They're not sure, you know, if it's in their home, they're going to take it. So you'll find the patient going home, taking torsemide and furosemide together because they're both in the home. And then that's acute kidney injury right back in the hospital. So that's sort of like where we coming to the picture. So you come home, we want to know what were the medications you were discharged home with and have you been able to um, obtain those medications? And if you've been able to obtain those medications, are there barriers um, with taking your meds, organizing your meds? What was discontinued? Do we need to make sure that... um, you need to follow up with the PCP for a medication that was put on hold. And I would also really like to emphasize the role that Dr. First really played because they were sort of like helping us connect all the dots as far as what are the patients doing with their meds and are they even adhering to their meds. We found that in our intervention, um, 20% of patients who had uh, CHF Um, improved with their medication adherence, and 25% of those who had COPD improved on their medication adherence in that particular study. I think most most places would dream of getting drugs that give you that much of a positive uh, impact or, uh, you know, counter to uh, disease process. So obviously, highly impressive results. Um, In in the time that we have left remaining, you you mentioned a little bit about SDOH and the challenges. Share a little bit of your thoughts around that and where that comes in and what you've seen as you know as part of your practice. Absolutely, thank you, Doctor Nick, for that question. So, for example, um, again, I can go right back to this particular group of patients, and we'll find that some patients are discharged home, when we call as a pharmacist to do a medication reconciliation, making sure um, what the patient was discharged with is what they're taking and making sure we're taking away medications that have been discontinued, we'll find that patients, perhaps we're calling on day six, they still don't have their meds that uh, were written for after discharge use. And when you ask the patient, it's things as, I don't have transportation to get to the pharmacy. And so um, some of what we've started to do is let's identify pharmacies that are able to deliver medications to the patient at home. And we'll work with the patient. Are you okay with us switching your pharmacy so that you can get the, you can't go to the pharmacy, but the pharmacy can come to you type of situation. So those are some of the things that we've uh, done to work with the patient. Sometimes it's the cost and we're either working to find a cheap alternative or we're trying to find some type of patient assistance program that's going to support the patient. But either way, we want to make sure the solution is long-term, not a 30-day Band-Aid, uh, you know, because then they're going to go right back to, you know, so we really want to fix whatever the barriers are. If it's beyond our scope, 
then we would pull in like a community health worker to help connect the patient to resources because the resources are there. It's just that the demand for the resources and the supply of the resources are not connecting. So we make sure that we're also doing care coordination to other, whether it's a social worker or community health worker, to help with those types of bar barriers. Again, uh, you know, as I listen to that, it's the sort of, uh, it, it's the element of being there, seeing things, being on the ground, being uh, connected and having the time as much as anything. And, you know, all, all due respect to the other folks that are delivering care, they're driven by systems that don't allow for that. That perhaps used to happen in the past, but not so much. And, you know, here's an opportunity to really uh, drive this um, in ways that are clearly delivering benefits, as you uh, demonstrated. Unfortunately, as we do uh, each and every week, uh, we've run out of time. Uh, so it just uh, remains for me to uh, thank you, Sade, for joining me. Uh, Ngozi? Thank you so much, for Dr. Nick, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at Dr. Nick One on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 